Get rid of your credit card debt, get a lower monthly payment, and skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to save thousands with SaveWithConrad.com. Find out how much money you can save right now at SaveWithConrad.com. How's it going, everyone? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff here on the podcast seat and ad-free shows network. I'm John Alba, and as you know, I'm joined every single week by the man of the hour, Mr. ECE Eric Bischoff. Look at those dimples, the way he's looking good, feeling great, hair looks good, life's good if you're Eric Bischoff right now, I assume. What's going on, my man? Just another day in paradise. Another day in paradise. For me, although for you, I just read uh, this morning, actually, that Bruce Springsteen has canceled a bunch of tours. That's got to yeah. be like a, a, an emotional kick in the teeth for you. Bro. Well, so in August, I had tickets for the two Philly shows. And I'm, I finished recording Strictly Business with you. I get the edit done really quickly. And I'm about to head over to Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. I leave my door. And I get a notification on my phone that the two shows are canceled. And I'm saying, what's going on here? It just said due to illness. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. You know, hope he gets fine. I went to three shows last week. The Sunday show is the best show I've ever been to. Best concert I've ever been to in my entire life. And then I was supposed to go to Baltimore this week. And we got the notice that he's got peptic ulcer disease. And I said to myself, Eric, Bruce Springsteen and I really are alike because we both deal with acid reflux. So, you know, it, it's it's the silver linings you try to look for. But it, it has been, uh, <laughs> been sad. So I appreciate the sympathy. <laughs> it's not really sympathy. I just noticed it. <laughs> I, I really, you know, I don't get it. It's not like you haven't been to a Bruce Springsteen concert. Before. I know, I know. Hey, you met Bruce uh, one time, right? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. In uh, Las Vegas, if I'm not mistaken. So. Uh, yeah, it was. Got to hang out backstage with him for a little bit and all that good stuff. Makes yeah. you a cooler man than I for a lot of reasons. But it's great to have you here with us on Strictly Business. I know that it has been a crazy, crazy week, especially dating back to last Saturday. And then Sunday with the AEW pay-per-view. Saturday, the firing of CM Punk and, of course, the WWE payback show. Uh, so much going on in the business of the wrestling <clears throat> business, plus the merger between UFC and WWE under the Endeavor Company is about to go through. Later on on Strictly Business, Eric, we are going to have an interview with Mel Coleman, who's one of the premier artists in the wrestling art side of the industry. And her work has been featured recently on AEW, so a lot of cool stuff. But let's start talking about WWE, UFC, the merger, TKO, September 12th, released as we record this, Eric. Endeavor and WWE deal to create TKO group holdings expected to close September 12th. Upon close, TKO will list on the New York Stock Exchange and begin public trading. This has been months in the making, Eric, dating back to the first day of WrestleMania. Do you have any comments here on this deal finally coming to fruition and what we may expect in the next few months? Um, you know, I just don't have a crystal ball. Um, I, I tend to be pretty Nostradamus-like, 
when it comes to professional wrestling and looking into the future. But in this case, I don't really have a feel for it. I'm, I'm happy for the people in, in WWE and, and probably for people that I don't know in UFC as well, because having a merger like this um, hanging over your head, there's so many things you don't know. You know, you're not in the loop. That's the kind of information that that isn't shared you know, beforehand in terms of merging departments and layoffs and things like that. So everybody's sitting around, you know, wondering if they're going to have a job or how they're going to be affected. And that's, it's just not a great way to live, you know, um, cause you're always thinking about it and wondering about it, if you're going to get let go or if your department's going to be let go, whatever. And I, I'm happy for everybody to finally have this thing resolved so people can quit worrying about things they don't need to worry about. Or if you know, you're know you on that list of unfortunate individuals who may find themselves being phased out, that you can get on with your life. You can make a plan. And as uncomfortable as it may be sometimes, you know, when things like this happen, the old saying, you know, is true. You know, for every door that closes, another one opens. And I'm sure there will be, you know, great opportunities for a lot of the people that that are affected if they are by the UFC WWE merger. So I'm just, I'm just happy for everybody that it's going to finally be over with. I know you hate the term synergy. I know it's like your band list term. That's like saying hospital on WWE programming. You got to say local medical facility. We can't say synergy here, but I'm going to ask about synergy. Do you foresee synergy between ufc and wwe in working together in co-promotion with this merger finally coming to fruition i i don't i don't know about co-promotion i've always said from day one when ufc first started really making um their presence felt on television and on pay-per-view that they're two separate audiences of course there is some crossover there's undeniably but I, I think that the ufc audience is one audience i think wwe audience is another audience and while there may be some subtle or, and a supportive kind of cross promotion i don't think it's going to be anything overt i don't think we're going to be having ufc content shoved down our throat in wwe or vice versa um, of course, they're going to support each other whenever it's possible and and, and organic and it fits. But I, I don't think on television we're going to see a lot of co-promotion. I, I, I don't. Could you see co-existence within projects, maybe, for example? Uh, I'll, I'll point to one in particular. Sean Ross Samp from Fightful reported that... Fightful asked about the possibility of WWE wrestlers appearing in EA UFC 5, the video game coming up. And they said that while they didn't have any firm direction on whether or not that would be happening, that they certainly pointed to the possibility that it's it's something that could happen and that there's even been some discussion, but nothing would be official until a merger was complete. So could you see collaboration for projects like that? Maybe not necessarily on the TV front. I don't know, but that one, that example you just gave uh, that, that Sean covered is an interesting proposition because a video game is a fantasy, right? It's you, mm -hmm. it's a game. And I think there, I mean, that's interesting to me. You know, it, I'm not a video game guy. You know, I don't spend a lot of time playing video games, like none. But, 
But if I did, I could see it's kind of a fun thought. You know, it's a little bit like fantasy booking wrestling against UFC. And I think there's possibly an appeal for that. So sure, if it makes sense. And I'm, I'm guessing there'd be a fair amount of research done uh, by the company that's producing that video game. And they would do some, they, they would put in some time and effort to make sure that the it's something that the market would be interested in. But I just on the surface, my visceral response is, yeah, it's it'd be kind of cool. I think it's interesting because there has been a lot of crossover between UFC and WWE stars, Brock Lesnar, Ronda Rousey, Shayna Baszler in the MMA world, uh, Matt Riddle. There, There is a track record of crossover here. So seeing how licensing could be worked into that, uh, it could create a pretty interesting scenario where we see some unique ideas out there. With the merger finally coming to fruition here, could you see any pressure being put on the powers that be now to get these TV rights secured and get all of that stuff out of the way as we're about a year out from those expiring. I don't think any more or any less pressure than already exists or would exist had this merger not even occurred. You know, you, you're, you, the TV is TV is the lifeblood of professional wrestling. Um, certainly from a revenue perspective in WWE. So I think the pressure is already there, and I don't think this merger is going to affect the amount of pressure one way or the other. It may affect the strategy, yeah, because now there's leverage in in some respects. You've got some pretty powerful players now locking arms in Nick Khan, uh, who is a 800-pound gorilla in his own right in the entertainment and television business, and you've got Ari Emanuel who's about maybe a 900 pound gorilla. So now you got 1700 pounds of gorilla uh, that's sitting at the table across from you uh, negotiating for TV rights. So yeah, I think the strategy may be different, but I don't think the pressure is. I think that's a part of the discourse that has been overlooked. How much influence someone like Ari Emanuel could have in the direction of where WWE television rights and licensing rights ultimately go. And I've had a little bit of experience in working with agents and agencies. I was represented by William Morris, which is now Endeavor. I have been represented by CAA for a long time uh, when I was producing television on my own with Jason Hervey. And I have a little bit of understanding of, of the power of agencies and agents. Uh, Mark Itkin. You want to go back? There's a name you don't hear too often. Mark Itkin was the agent that represented WWE when WWE first did their deal with what was then the UPN network. Mark Itkin was a power player in, in at William Morris. Um, also ended up in litigation with Vince McMahon and the WWE as a result of some of the deals that they did. But when you have really... I want to take out the word powerful and in, in include the word influential. In some ways, it means the same thing. But you've got Endeavor, which has got just a tremendous amount of leverage and horsepower because of the talent that they have on their roster. And a lot of television studios or networks, you know, would love to be in business on a regular basis with some of that talent. So the conversations that that studios or networks are going to have with Endeavor, it's going to be inferred and implied. It's not going to be 
you know, nobody's going to be beating anybody over the head, but if you're sitting down talking about a television project that you really want to get off the ground for your network and it involves directors or writers or talent that are represented by Endeavor, it just changes the dynamic, the power dynamic shifts considerably. And again, when you take somebody as successful and influential as Nick Khan has been, as obviously still is, and Ari Emanuel, just the depth of their relationships alone is very, very significant in this situation. It changes things. It changes conversations. It, it's different. It's just going to be different. And for WWE and UFC, that's going to matter. It's fascinating because you talk about Nick Khan really expanding WWE business overtures across the board in so many different eras. Right now, WWE is bringing back John Cena in for this tour of India that they're doing. They're doing a show over there as well that's going to be taped and, and shown as kind of like a PLE. India is such a fascinating market that I feel like a lot of people in the United States don't really have a huge grasp on. I know you weren't super involved in it, but I remember even when TNA did the whole Rinka King experiment there, I thought those shows came off really well in terms of environment and vibe. Do you have any insight on the Indian wrestling market and why that's so appealing for an organization like WWE? You know, I, I really don't. I've never experienced, I've never done any business as a talent or, or, or as a producer in India. So I don't have any firsthand business experience there, but in just a little bit of research I did a couple months ago. Um, I read that there are approximately 350 million WWE fans wow. in India. Like there's more WWE fans in India than there are here in the United States. So without question, the potential is there. Now, I, I just don't have any firsthand or even secondhand experience, really, um, when it comes to the business side of it and how difficult it is to penetrate the business side of it. But, but the entrepreneur in Eric Bischoff, when you hear that, there's 350 million WWE fans. Like, What ideas go through your head in terms of being able to tap into that market? What type of content could you produce for an audience of that size i don't know you know uh time will tell let's put it that way time will tell i just think that is massively untapped i remember a few years ago when they made jinder mahal champion everyone kind of assumed it was a way to try to get into that market where they were going on tour and then they ended up taking the belt off him before they even got to India. And he was still in the championship match, but he wasn't champion going in there. So I found it very fascinating. I was like, ah, well, maybe they're not ready to go all in on that market. But, man, bringing John Cena out there. Becky Lynch was supposed to go out there, but she couldn't get over there because she had a rip in her passport. So she wasn't able to get on the tour over there. But they are loading it with the big stars. Uh, did you ever... Have you ever been to India? Have you ever done a tour? I never have. I, I, and I, I really want to. There's a couple of places in the world that I really want to go um, and, and visit while I can still move around and enjoy it. And India is one of them. Uh, I, I love going. It's one of the reasons I love Japan. It's one of the reasons why I was excited to go to North Korea. I've never been to Russia, but I'd really like to go to Russia because I like to experience a completely different culture in some cases, you know, completely different governments or 
some cases dictatorships. I like to know firsthand what that experience is like. And India is such a fascinating, fascinating country with such a di diverse amount of uh, cultures. You know, it's not like there's just one Indian culture. There's such divergent cultures within India and languages. And of course, the food. I love Indian food. It's my, I, know. I want to call it a passion, but it's getting close. I just, I love Indian food complexity of it robust spices and things that you just don't find anywhere else i love that so for a lot in the history obviously in the art uh, i would i would love to visit india someday go back in our archive 83weeks.com find our episode with raj giri if you'd like 20 minutes on indian food you can find us discussing that right here on strictly business you and raj did end up getting together and getting some indian food if i'm not mistaken right well, we got together in denver uh, a couple months ago six four five six months ago whenever at whenever it was and then uh, most recently um where were we were we in denver again yeah for the uh podcast movement uh, nice. convention nice um I we got together again for for dinner and a, and a drink and I, I dig Raj. He's a really really smart guy. Obviously, came up with the Indian dating service, which probably made zero sense to anybody, and and he built it up by advertising it on Wrestling Inc. because he owned Wrestling Inc. at the time, and that even is, is is even less, you know, it's even more of a square peg in a round hole if you can imagine it. But you know, he ended up selling it for you know millions of dollars and made a made a huge amount of money and had a great deal of success. And he's a young guy. You know, he's very very young. I think he's only like forty three years old. Go check that episode out in our archives. I love when we have guests here on Strictly Business, and we got another guest coming for you in just a couple moments here. Mel Coleman, she's an artist based out of Toronto, and her work has been featured all over AW in recent weeks. And she has a really unique story and has great perspective, Eric, on the business of the wrestling art industry, which Ooh, I don't think it's... I'm looking forward to hearing yeah, that one. I don't think it's something that a lot of people think about necessarily, but have you ever had your interest piqued by wrestling art? Oh, of course. Um, you know, Nolan is is a wrestling artist and i actually commissioned some work for him for a project that i that i uh worked with um there's a few of the lash larue is doing some great stuff i love lash what a wonderful human being he amazing i'm so so excited for him he's got a great story he's a great guy an amazingly talented guy as well but yeah no i'm i'm, I'm very much interested i mean i think that the the popularity of wrestling in general whether it's WWE, AEW, the combination of the two, the indie scene, all of it just represents a, a, a strong interest um, by the audience in all things wrestling. And I think the fact that there are people that are taking advantage, the artists that are finding a way to carve out their niche, um, it, that's exciting to me. I love seeing that kind of thing happen. Well, we've got an interview with her coming up right here on Strictly Business. The seasons are changing and fresh ball fall is finally upon us. And you need to be in the festive spirit, right? Light a candle, get some pumpkin spice, and make sure your balls look real nice with the sponsors of today's edition of Strictly Business, Manscaped. Nature may clear the leaves of their trees, but you'll need Manscaped's help to get you ready for that sweater weather. 
Get your pants puppies prepared for cuffing season with a trim as refreshing as a fall breeze by going to manscaped.com and using code WrestleBiz for 20% off plus free shipping. That's W-R-E-S-T-L-E-B-I-Z. I look great in a flannel. I don't wear enough of them. I love flannel season. I love cozy socks. But we can't forget to trim our balls. By now, you've heard of them, but it's time to join the 9 million men worldwide using Manscaped and get the kit that covers it all. The Performance Package 4.0. It starts with the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer with advanced skin safe technology that reduces nicks and cuts to make raking the leaves a lot less painful. Plus, the Lawnmower is a technical masterpiece. It has a 7,000 RPM motor, a multi function on off switch that can engage a travel lock, and built in 4,000K LED spotlight to help you see parts of your body you haven't looked at in years. And once you've cleared the driveway, the Performance Package comes in hot with products to cool you down. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Ball Spray Toner. It's all one to prevent stink and one to clear it up. With a soothing aloe vera formula, move over pumpkin spice. Fresh balls are the smell of the season. The Performance Package 4.0 Capsule with two free gifts. Eric Bischoff loves free stuff. The Manscaped Boxers, which I was just wearing the other day, and the Shed Travel Bag. That's one to hold your Manscaped goodies and one to hold your man goodies. Bring in the fall right and get 20% off and free shipping with code WrestleBiz at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use code WrestleBiz. As the leaves fall, make sure you have it all with Manscaped. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little more about what adfreeshows.com is all about. Get early ad-free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts every single week, starting at just nine bucks. That's less than 20 cents an episode each month. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Ad-Free Shows also has thousands of hours worth of bonus content and docu-series like Title Chase, Eric Fires Back, Conversations with Conrad, and The Insiders, plus new series like The Book with David Crockett, Monday Mailbags with Mike Chioda and Nick Patrick, and a whole lot more. And you want to talk about early, you can't get any earlier than listening to the shows live. You can be a part of the live studio audience as we record the podcast. Plus, ride shotgun alongside your favorite childhood heroes for live watch-alongs, Q&As, and other interactive experiences every single month. Come on now, see for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans from around the world have discovered that adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. Check it out today, and hey, when you do, the first week is completely free, adfreeshows.com. All right, we're going to step aside from our normal conversation, Eric, because I've got a very special guest with us here on Strictly Business. She is Mel Coleman. She's one of the premier wrestling artists out there right now. It's a very unique side of the business, and that's why I wanted to welcome her in here to the business of the business on Strictly Business. Mel, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Eric's stepping aside, so he's going to let me take handles of this chat sure. with you because I think he's just so fired up about everything that's been going on lately, <laughs> no especially worries. in AEW land. And I know we're going to be talking about some of your stuff with AEW here and I'm very excited to get into that, but you have such a unique 
perspective on the wrestling industry. Yes. Uh, can you tell people a little bit about yourself and what made you want to get into not just art, but wrestling art specifically? Sure. So um, we'll kind of go back a little bit. Um, a few years ago with the pandemic, I had lost my job and I wasn't in a very good place, uh, both mentally and with my health. Um, so when AEW came around, um, with Double or Nothing, it kind of sparked a little something in me. And at the time, I kind of gave up on pro wrestling. Um, so when they had, you know, came onto the scene, it, it, it made me feel uh, excited about pro wrestling again. It also made me excited about possibly creating again. Um, why? Why wrestling? Um, I think it's just, it's evergreen. Um, they're very over the top. There's something very theatrical. You could do so much with each other's character and make them a little bit more um, profound with art. So for me, it was it was a moment of re revisiting what I loved most and sort of, I guess, a resurgence of who I was or who I am. And it was really nice to kind of bring myself back out of there because it was not a pleasant time. <laughs> I was not doing well. And for me to get pulled out of that and find myself again and find something that I love so and be so passionate about uh, has been very, very great for me. <laughs> Isn't it amazing what pro wrestling can provide as an outlet for the creative types, for mental health? Yeah. Have you found it to be cathartic and therapeutic for you? 100%. Um, I, I wouldn't be here, and I, I say that very seriously, if it wasn't for them. I know that sounds... Um, very heavy, but it's it's true. Um, I wasn't doing well, and to find an outlet that has given me so much and has given me the opportunity to give back in so many different ways, not just for the talent for the company, but for fans as well, and, and they're getting something out of it. Maybe they're not having a great day, and they find a piece that I do, and it uplifts them. So for me, it's very important. I take it very seriously. Um, but still being very cheeky about it. <laughs> Why is there synergy between pro wrestling and art? I think, I think because it's so over the top, and I say that with love, um, it's very much like going to the movies. You know, you pay your ticket, you get something, you get some drama, you get something, maybe a little bit of comedy. Um, there's a little something for everybody. And... It's almost like when you do go to the movies, you see those posters. And I draw a lot of inspiration from Drew Struzan, who used to do the very epic movie posters, uh, like Indiana Jones and things like that. So if I can provide something that makes it a little bit more special, um, maybe to enhance talent or maybe to provide a different outlook on talent, I'm very happy to do that. Have you established relationships with talent through your art? Have they expressed any feedback or appreciation when you present them with this stuff? I do. Um, I've made a lot of wonderful relationships and friendships um, over the past couple of years doing this. Um, they're very, very kind. Um, also, I think they're very appreciative of anybody taking the time to make something of them and for them to share that with everybody else is, is something very important to me as well. Um, I think it's just a little, it's hard to explain, but when you do create something of somebody, um, whether it's a wrestler or perhaps 
uh, an actor or anything like that. It just gives them more dimension, I think. Um, it also helps, we're, we'll I'm probably sure that we're gonna touch base on it, but everything with Don Callis, I mean, there's a story behind everything and a story behind every piece. And I think that kind of helps with everything in terms of the talent, what they're doing, the company as well. Um, it kind of all flips together a little bit. Um, I think it shapes pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I swear you just hit like a periphery love language for me <laughs> when you just said how there's the story behind the art because I do believe, you know, even my background in storytelling and television news and the pieces, the feature pieces I did, there's something so inherently human in the stories that we tell through our art and art can differ in many different ways. It can be a feature piece. It can be a physical piece of art like we do. So when you're referring to storytelling, can you elaborate on that a little bit? How do you feel that your art can aid in telling someone's story? I think it depends on, um, again, who that person is or who the talent might be, um, where they are, um, in terms of their own character and their own storylines. But I feel like there are certain elements when I'm painting, at least I can speak for myself, of adding certain little things, whether it's a mood based on the type of lighting that I'm using, colors, um, maybe the poses, but it can be something as simple as person sitting down, but it being so like just epic. Um, and just so conscious about what might be going through their their mind or in the picture. Um, it could be either something like that. It can be like the pieces with Don and Kenny when he's holding them bloodied. Um, it's just, you have, or at least I have that freedom to express little things in my mind where I feel like maybe in my head, I'm developing this story or how I see them in that light um, might be what I want to portray and, and show them how I see them, um, if that makes any sense. I think it's so important that they know that they are very appreciated and what they're doing is giving me and other people, other artists, so much back. So it's, it's a wonderful synergy between everybody. <laughs> I just find it so fascinating because when I think about the wrestling business, art is not typically the first thing that comes to <laughs> no. mind. But when I go to conventions, mm -hmm. I see all sorts of different types of wrestling art there. Yes. Why do you think using your background and your experience in the field here, why do people resonate with that from a standpoint where they're willing to spend money on these pieces? I think like we all love our merch, right? But there's something so unique about art. And when it's coming from myself or another artist, we give ourselves a little bit of ourselves to these pieces. So they're always going to be unique. They're always going to be very different. And everyone, you're going to find something for everybody. So whether it's going to be a very comic style piece, whether it's going to be very intricate and, and painted like what I do, um, I think it's just whimsical. There, there's such a whimsy with it all. And it's, I'm not sure if you've ever done like the horror conventions or anything like that as well, but there's always tables with like either um prints or they'll have um jewelry things like that it's just something you just don't see so i think it's very 
um, unique that other people just don't have. And to, to get that, I think, is really neat. What is the most... I'm trying to find the right word for this. I guess the most appealing form of art that you'd found in, in your history that a wrestling fan might be attracted to. Would it be a small print? Would it be a, a large poster? Like, is there a certain type of item that typically appeals more to wrestling fans? I think, I believe the posters always do well. Um, I know that the 8 by 12s I mean, they're relatively small, but when you have something so big, it, it kind of, it just, it's, it's, epic it's beautiful there's so much detail that you can see into it and i think people are really um interested in actually purchasing things they're a little bit more grandioso <laughs> i think that when you have something a little bit more larger in scale um you know people have their little man caves and things like that um so if you're to go in i personally find like the poster sizes like the really massive ones do very well um they're also like the little five by sevens, but you want something that you can actually like stare and look into. I mean, at least I do. There's something very gratifying about looking at other people's work and like really taking a dive in and maybe seeing their brush strokes, their pencil, how they do it. It's, it's just really cool that way. Is there ever collaboration between the talent and the artist in terms of mass producing art or anything like that have you ever seen anything like that yeah so um i've done a few t-shirts with a couple of the talent on aw um i've done things for nala rose um andrade and jose um i, I was able to do a piece or a t-shirt design with um, negative one and ten at the time so you always get feedback on what they're looking for sometimes they'll see a piece that you put out um whether it's on social media um, and they might like it, but they need a little bit more um, and maybe uh, changing here uh, things here and there. But they they're very collaborative. They, they want to make sure that they're represented in the best way. Um, and I think that that's very important as well. But it's always been wonderful. I know a lot of other artists who do do that as well. And they do such a stellar job. So I guess that's what I want to know. So a talent will contact the artist and yes. then together try to commission something that Correct. appeals yeah. and then that can go into like mass production from there yes so usually um with my experience with doing um like for instance nyla rose's uh t-shirts she had really loved uh one of the little cartoony designs that i had done um but we had to change a few things <laughs> um it wasn't uh, as uh friendly <laughs> as it was as it should be um but yeah no she um she was very great to work with a lot of everyone that i've worked with has been very wonderful so i, I can't say anything but the nicest things um but it's it's great uh, back and forth little notes um but they're they're great they know what they want uh, they know their audience uh, they know their brand and i think branding is super important when it comes to their representation so um I find that listening, making sure that they're happy with the end result is the main goal. Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. 
You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame and you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at painterlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Just text the word weeks to 87204. That's weeks to 87204. Text weeks to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. So lately, I've been on a mission to change the way people view their finances and to encourage people to overcome obstacles and adversity. It's just more and more important to me every day. So I've teamed up with the folks at Life Surge. Life Surge is a one-day faith-based event where you'll walk in hungry for success and you'll leave ready to build your resources to leave an impact on others. We're talking faith-fueled finance, growing resources, crushing obstacles, and then, yeah, using it all for something way bigger than yourself. I'll be joining Life Surge in Cincinnati on Saturday, August 3rd. Joining me in Cincinnati is Nick Vujicic, the man with no arms or legs that speaks about his trials and triumphs. Soul surfer and author Bethany Hamilton, Duck Dynasty's Willie Robertson, and author and pastor Craig Groeschel, star of CNBC's The Prophet, Marcus Limonis, and Bethel Music. That's Life Surge, Cincinnati, on Saturday, August 3rd. Tickets are on sale exclusively at lifesurge.com. I hope to see you there. So on the last note on on this front, I just am trying to have a full understanding of how the sausage is made versus how it's put out. So you have the collaboration mm -hmm. and then when it's mass produced on a t-shirt, on a print, whatever it may be, is the artist getting a cut of that or is it all up front? How does that process? Work? So it's all up front, um, depending on what is um, agreed upon between um, company and artist. Um, and after that, the image itself you give to. So okay. we, we don't get royalties or anything like that, as uh, far as I know. Um, I have never. Um, so I've been very happy to just uh, receive the payment and they're happy with their, their gotcha. art piece and then they can do whatever they like. <laughs> gotcha. I mean, how gratifying is that for you when you see your art on this mass form? Wonderful. Um, I can't express myself more than like the big smile on my face. I love seeing people happy. I love seeing people wearing t-shirts or buying prints and just having something that they want and just being able to either wear it, put it up on, on their walls. It's, it's wonderful. I've been to shows and having people come up to me wearing my shirt or going, oh my God, I love your stuff. It's very gratifying for me. That's incredible. I love hearing <laughs> that and your artwork lately has been featured on a pretty big <laughs> stage. Uh, this was yes. a significant segment between Chris Jericho and Don Callis in the lead-in to All In. Yes. And <laughs> I, I mean, why don't you explain? You can explain it better than I can. <laughs> what did we see of yours on AEW television? So we have seen uh, when once Don had betrayed Kenny um, prior to that, I made a piece based off a historical painting of Ivan the Terrible and switched it up to Don the Terrible. And it was Don holding Kenny, who had just been impaled with the screwdriver to the head. Uh, since then, that's been um, on AW TV. It's been on their social media. And it's also helped flurry in everything else going on with the Callis family and Don. So very happy with that. Uh, prior to that, or after that, we had the um, Don and Takeshita centaur piece. <laughs> which is a fan favorite. 
my favorite. Um, and that's been everywhere as well. It was wonderful to see that at Wembley, um, just being just up there and everywhere. So that was just a moment for me. Um, very happy, very proud uh, moment for me. Um, then Chris Jericho being beheaded, which was just wonderful to work on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so are you the first for the first piece? Are you commissioned to do that? Or is this just something you did and it was noticed by somebody? So the first piece with Don and Kenny was just something that I had jumped onto the opportunity. I am a firm believer of watching the product and seeing what I can pull out of that and making the moment or opportunity for myself. So in this art industry, it's a doggy dog word out there. So you got to just do the work and push and make sure you are hitting the whatever's hot, whatever's popping the crowd, because if not, you are left stagnant. So at that time, I'd stayed up the entire night that Wednesday to make this piece and put it out as soon as possible. And it just got into the right hands. And I was um, contacted by someone at AW asking if they could use the piece. Um, at the time, I didn't know how they were using the piece. But I was very happy to allow that. And I was extremely happy to see the way that they did use it on the video wall and everything for Dawn's entrance. So it's, um, it's been wonderful. And ever since then, they have commissioned me for other pieces, uh, other pieces for Dawn as well. That's great. That's great yeah. to hear. I mean, you, <laughs> you, you love seeing investment in art in any form. And then in this form, it's weird, crazy <laughs> form where here you are inspired to draw a beheaded Chris Jericho. But nonetheless, <laughs> and, and, but talking about the storytelling, right? it aided the storytelling of that segment. And you Absolutely. played you played a role in crafting this pro wrestling story as a fan to play a role like that. What does that mean to you? It's huge. You could say that I'm Dawn's invisible hand. There you go. <laughs> um, I'm merely a tool. I'm a paintbrush at his disposal, but I'm very happy to do so. Um, for me as a fan, if I can separate myself from the pro artist, it's... Um, it's something, it's something that I've always dreamt of doing. I've always wanted to work somehow in the pro wrestling business. Um, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a wrestler. That just didn't pan out for me. <laughs> but um, yeah, just being able to see it and, and contribute to something that's going to be talked about for hopefully <laughs> next few years, if not more. But it, it does build conversation. It starts conversations, it, you know, gets fans talking and and maybe they don't sure. like it and that's okay <laughs> i'm very okay with that <laughs> where do you get the inspiration for paintings like that um in terms of collaborating with don or I, in general i mean you're watching tv you're watching don Callis. you're seeing him be a dick on tv <laughs> and all of a sudden a thought pops into your head hey i should draw this i think for me at least again for me i've always just been such a fan of comic books and um, you know the supernatural movies, the action movies. So I always draw inspiration from a lot of different out outlets for me. Um, but Don, being the man that he is, <laughs> it kind of writes itself in inspiration. He's just the Don head of family. You know, there's there's something about that horse head in the bed that just kind of gets me, and and I love. The heels, the heels for me are always the most fun to do because there's so many different avenues at which you can take. 
And, uh, you know, if he wants to call himself a serial killer, then, hey, more inspiration for me. <laughs> us us so, wrestling yeah. fans are very normal people, you know, <laughs> no doubt I mean, about are it. Are we all normal if we're in right. wrestling? That's what I'm saying. We're real normal. <laughs> How long does it take you to do a piece like that? It really depends on subject. Um, if I'm doing more than one subject in one piece, um, it can it can take anywhere between, oh gosh, 12 to 50 hours. Wow. Um, yeah, the last piece, the most recent piece that I've done that hasn't been unveiled, that will be unveiled next week on Dynamite, um, took about 39 hours and that was 39 hours. Um, the only breaks that I had taken were to uh, go to the gym and then to watch the pay-per-view all out. Wow. <laughs> Other than that, I stayed up and made sure that it was uh, done and ready for them for, for Dynamite. <laughs> That's the difference between you and I. You take a break to go to the gym. I take a break to like barbecue. So that's the that's the difference. We're just it's built differently. <laughs> We're built differently. You know, like I am the centaur and you are the person who is leading the way. I give you a lot of credit for that. Now that's great. Lead the way, man. <laughs> All right. And yeah. hey, listen, I, I love to hear that your work's gonna be featured even more on yes. AEW programming or even across the wrestling spectrum. Is there anyone in wrestling that you really wish you could collaborate with, but haven't had the chance to yet? Oh gosh, there's so many that the there, it's just a stacked roster. And um, I, I mean, like I love WWE and I love AEW. There's no like, Oh God, one or the other. Um, but for me, like my heart is solely into AEW right now. If I had the chance, I would love to work with all of the talent and do something just magnificent and, and show them how I see them. And, and that's a very intimate thing for me. Um, there's just something that I love to pull out that will always speak a little differently to everybody. And I hope that that always translates when I do a piece. All right. Well, I think we need a piece of Tony Khan as Caesar at this point. I'm ready for that. Just, oh, no. just get, get ready for that. No, I love that. I, I Caesar, he's at the gates. That's, that's not a diss on Tony, man. That's, he's the Where's one the in charge. Hey, no, well, I, I, I'm not saying that. Hey, Jim Ross, Jim Ross said they used to refer to Vince McMahon as Caesar in WWE. So, you know, I mean, there's, there's, hey, look, we can always do a collaboration, right? There, there's got to be some sort of. Uh... Tony Khan's got a good sense of humor. He's very yeah. self-aware when it comes to that stuff. So absolutely, I'm, I'm curious to see what your first commission for Tony will be uh, at, the, at the end of the day. Uh, get him on the line right now. Let's see what he wants. Uh, th this is really great to hear. Is there any artist out there in the wrestling spectrum that you look up to or you admire? There's so many. Uh, Rob Schamberg being one. Um, Nolenium. I'm using their little Twitter names too. There's Doug Hills. Oh God, there's so many. And I'm, Hal Henny is just another one. It's just flooded with so much talent and so many great people out there. And the best part is, is that we're all always engaging and uplifting each other. There's never um, any sort of malice. Like we're always like rooting for each other to do and push and, and be better. Um, and I... I can't thank them enough for welcoming me into this community because I knew nothing. I still know nothing coming into this business, this art business, because it's so new to me coming in uh, back in 2021. So I'm learning so many things because of them. And they're so gracious to allow me their time when they're busy doing things and prints and, and working with um, you know, either WWE, AW making their t-shirt designs. So 
it's very encouraging um, to hear feedback from them or just to hear, hey, you're doing great. You know, it's it's so wonderful and I can't thank them enough. Um, I wish that I can have like the long list of everybody and I'm so sorry, guys, <laughs> but you're all so wonderful. And um, it's just a great community to be a part of. I'm very grateful. That's great to hear. And also, I, I've noticed you've talked about this on social media. You're an artist with lupus. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I imagine that that is a challenge in and of itself. How have you navigated that in still trying to be able to put out the art that reflects what you draw up in your mind? It's uh, It's been a battle. It's an ongoing battle. Um, I don't work a day-to-day -day job, so the art is my only source of income. So when I do get a gig, it's um, it's very great. <laughs> I'm very grateful for it. Um, but it, 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 it's, it can be challenging. There are days, every day is always hard. Um, for those unfamiliar with lupus, it's an autoimmune and you just don't know how it's going to affect you. Uh, it could be anytime if you wake up, you're fatigued all the constantly or your body's in pain or sometimes you do end up going to the hospital and spending a couple days there. So it really depends. Uh, it's a day to day thing. Um, th thankfully I've been doing my best to keep my stress levels low. <laughs> uh, the sleep isn't helping, but, um, it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. And, um, I'm very appreciative when I do get offered to work on something because it's, uh, it's important to me. I love doing it. And if I was to give up art right now to just kind of go back to a day job just to support myself, it'd be heartbreaking, but it's reality. So the battle continues <laughs> and I'll keep striving forward, but it's hard. It is hard. Um, it's, it's not, a, it's hard to say you don't get a lot out of it other than the, the joy that you do when you make a piece. Um, so when you do get a commission, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's a passion fueled industry. Absolutely. If you don't day. have it in you, then it's not for you because it's the starving artist thing. Totally real. <laughs> yeah, I can attest to that. Well, listen, I want to help you out here. I know you've got a, a GoFundMe that you've posted mel coleman art tip jar if you look that up on gofundme and i'm also going to include a link here in the episode Thank descriptions you. on both youtube and wherever you get your podcasts and at 83weeks.com if you'd like to see some of mel's work here you can leave her a tip on her gofundme it helps her out as an artist with lupus and supports her work in the process where can people find uh, the rest of your work or examples of it or your social medias anything you'd like to share there Sure. Um, you guys can find me on Twitter or Instagram, just under Mel Coleman Arts. Um, Instagram will have a full portfolio of what I've put out throughout uh, 2021 and, and current. Uh, Twitter, I'm always up late updating uh, little snippets, little teasers here and there. So it's, it's always fun. I love engaging with uh, fans and fellow artists as well. So I'm always happy to, uh, to have a chat. <laughs> Well, Mel, I appreciate you shedding some light on this side of the business, not a, a <laughs> element of the business I think a lot of people really think about, Thank but you. it's been really insightful hearing from you. I wish you nothing but the best. Congratulations on so all of the AEW work, and hopefully you'll continue to wow some of us with some of these crazy, weird, messed up contraptions. <laughs> I don't think I'm going, over, going away anytime soon. So <laughs> We love to hear that. She is Mel Coleman. Thanks for hopping on Strictly Business. Thank you so much. <laughs>
Let's step aside for a second, Eric, to remind the Strictly Business listeners out there that this episode of Strictly Business is presented by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex, gentlemen. Guys, remember the days, and it might have been a while ago. It's okay if it was. It might have even been just a few weeks ago when you were always ready to go on a moment's notice. No shame. Our bodies change. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed by heading on over to BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or just be ready whenever the opportunity arises, and the process is so simple. Sign up, BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you're going to receive your prescription within just days. And the best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made right here in the United States of America and prepared and shipped directly to your door in a discreet package. I know it can be awkward sometimes when you have a product delivered to you that is for personal enhancement or improvement, but have no fear when Blue Chew arrives at my door. I don't have to worry about anyone picking up on my business. It's strictly my business here when it comes to Blue Chew. And I know that I'm making a first impression that is going to last a lifetime with Blue Chew. So we want to help you out here on Strictly Business, as does Blue Chew. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code WrestleBiz. That's W-R-E-S-T-L-E-B-I-Z at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. Promo code WrestleBiz to receive your first month absolutely free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring Strictly Business. Really great stuff there from Mel. Make sure you go check out her GoFundMe. As I said, I'm linking to it in our bio for the episode on both YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. She's a fantastic, fantastic artist with a great attitude in combating her illness and trying to get her art out there. So best wishes to her. We talked about AEW with her, Eric. We got to talk about AEW here. I know on 83 Weeks, she did a whole episode on CM Punk's departure from AEW, but we've had a few days now to kind of marinate in some of the things going on. And there's been some chatter about some previous interests that Punk had in WWE. And there's been speculation as to whether he could find his way back in the fold there. Sean Ross Sapp even said that Impact might try to reach out. A lot of different things going on. Where do things sit as far as you see it with CM Punk now five days or so after his AW release? Uh, nothing's really changed for me. I think it was uh, it was something that had to happen. Uh, we saw that what six months ago or so when when Punk had his first meltdown uh, in that media scrum. Um, I'm just glad it's over for, for the same reason. I'm glad the merger's over, you know, for WWE and UFC, because now all of that bad air, all that negativity, all that drama, and I'm not putting it on punk, by the way, I think the way punk handled stuff was stupid. And I think some of the things he said when he made his way into AEW was pretty stupid, but that's just my opinion based on my tastes. But I think it, it's not, up for debate. I think the way Phil handled things backstage and with regard to his issues with Tony or with AEW or talent, I think that was very amateurish. Um, and I'm just glad it's over. You know, I, I, 
it's a it's it's an opportunity i this will sound strange in a way but it's an opportunity to just hit the reset button and and focus on the talent you have there's a lot of great talent in the ew a lot of great talent in the ew just identify them focus on them bring the company together i probably everybody backstage was affected one way or the other whether they were directly involved in it or just happened to be you know splattered with the shit that was hitting the fan every week um it's a negative vibe it just takes away from the fun i mean if you can't have fun in the professional wrestling business you're not capable of having fun anywhere and i'm not i want to make it clear it's incredibly grueling work it is very grueling work and there's a lot of things that make being a professional wrestler at a high level um very very challenging emotionally physically obviously um the stress that it puts on your relationships uh family all of that it's it's not a walk in the park however once once you manage that there's nothing in, in my life I've, that I've ever experienced that could come close to the feeling you get when you're out there and you're performing and, and you're enjoying your performance and you love what you do. And, and the camaraderie should be a big part of it. You know, it's because it is such a tough business and maybe not so much in AEW because they don't travel as much as, as WWE. But, man, that's your family. And at some point, you got to get along with them. You, may, you know, you may not want to go hang out with them after the show or whatever, but the energy, the positive energy, the camaraderie that should be backstage is important for the product itself because it just – the difference between going out and performing – when you're having a blast and you enjoy the, the backstage environment and everybody's getting along reasonably, um, it just makes it better. It makes your performance better as opposed to being drenched in the drama and the negativity. Even if you're not involved in it, it's still there. It's like a just dark shadow over everything. It's, it, it affects the, it affects the product eventually. So I'm, I'm glad for AW Look, Tony made a decision. I think he made the right decision. Um, Now's the time to hit the reset button, blow out all that bad air, open the windows, bring in some fresh air, galvanize the roster, get everybody excited about moving forward, and just get past all this nonsense. What did you make of Tony addressing the Chicago crowd in person before the collision taping? I wish Tony would find someone whether it's an attorney or, or somebody to represent him when it comes to anything on camera. Some people are born to be on camera. Some people may not be born for it, but can learn how to do it and, and get really good at it. And some people should never do it. And Tony falls into the latter category. But he, I'm, he, I'm talking about, not to cut you off, I'm talking about when, before the show went on the air, when he yeah, so much chair. Okay, so, so that wasn't on camera. That was just in front of the audience itself. Well, and I ended up seeing it. Of course, it was covered. Right. But, and, and I did see the the produced piece that he did. Yes, he did do a produced piece um, as well. But in either situation, man, he put himself in a bad situation. Going out in front of that crowd, Tony's not the kind of guy that can handle heat. He just can't. 
And, and when I watched some of the video clips of him going out in front of the live crowd and sitting down on a chair, like a little kid waiting for the people to quit booing him and all, he's just, it, he doesn't do his brand or himself one and the same in this case, any favors by putting himself out in front of that company. He would be, he should be the wizard of Oz. He should be that mysterious figure backstage and, 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 let somebody who's really good on camera, especially dealing with controversial issues, let them do it. You know, you don't have to be out in front of it all the time, taking credit for it or trying to fix it when it breaks. Find somebody that represents your company that's articulate, that's good on camera, that's credible. Um, I, I don't know his attorney. Um, I've heard good things about her, by the way. Um, I don't know if she would be the right person or not, but somebody like her that's already in the organization that has credibility to go out and represent Tony. When it comes to the creative side of things, you know, rather than becoming, you know, Tony hasn't really become a character, but Tony's kind of a character. You know, he's still out there in front. I would find somebody else to do that for him. I, I don't know who that would be, but there's a lot of really talented people within that company already that could really do a good job. I hear your argument on that, and I don't necessarily disagree with most of the things you're saying, but I also do applaud an attempt at transparency. I think wrestling lacks a lot of transparency at times when transparency would smoothen out a lot of issues. And I understand at the same time that part of him going out there was probably for some crowd control, let the crowd get everything out before the live cameras started rolling for that episode of Collision and for the pay-per-view the next day. But I do think, and you've gone on record on this too, both of us here think Tony Khan is, is a good man at his heart. And I think there was a attempt made at being transparent with the fans as to why a decision was made and trying to get out in front of it there. Just my take. Just, there's just better ways to do it. That's all. We don't disagree. Get sure. out in front of it. And dealing with it head on, I think that's, you know, people will respect that. I talked about that before Punk was fired. Um, we, you and I talked about that on this very show. So I applaud him for getting ahead of it and making a firm decision. I just think the way he went about it was, it could have been done better. Collision averaged about 345,000 viewers. Again, you can't live and die by numbers but clearly uh. <laughs> but clearly not a great sign uh, going against college football going against the wwe payback show and in the aftermath of cm punk's firing i know you had some thoughts on this what do you got to say on that i, I think people are making too big a, you know granted when tony came out and made the announcement you know they lost eighty nine thousand people uh eighty nine thousand viewers and that's, you know, that's significant, but I'd like to know what the lead, you know, before you just jump to the conclusion and 89,000 people left because CM Punk right, was not exactly. Up, I think that's a giant leap into fantasy land. I agree. We know that that number is accurate, but it could have been for other reasons. It had nothing to do with CM Punk. Um, what was the lead in for that show? You know, that's the first thing I would want to know. If I was analyzing and trying to figure out, okay, what went wrong? Why did we take this big a hit? The first thing I'd want to know is what was the audience for the show that led into me? That's important because depending on what that show was, you can expect a significant drop-off when you shift from, let's say, a sitcom or a movie um, to a wrestling show. 
It just is. They're not necessarily going to be the same audience. An audience isn't necessarily going to hang around. You kind of hope they do, and that's the goal, but often they don't. So I would want to know what the lead-in was. I, I don't, so I, I can't comment on it. Um, and I think there was, and I talked about this, I think, with you, or it might have been with Conrad. I think there was a fair amount of curiosity about what is Tony going to do, where people who might not watch Collision anyway or otherwise decided to tune in just to get a real-time update on what the situation was because it got a lot of press. I don't think anybody that was a, you know, I don't want to say hardcore, but a, a, a active um, and excited wrestling fan, everybody knew that this was a possibility. And there may have been some tune in just to find out. But I don't think that that number of 345,000 is that bad a number in the context of everything else. I agree. I predicted it. Months ago, when we, you and I were talking about where, right after the show started, it opened up with 800,000. Now it's in pre-punk firing, right? Before punk got let go, before any of the drama, it was bouncing around four or 500,000 viewers. So it wasn't like it was, you know, setting the world on fire to begin with. And we all knew that when college football became a thing, that it was going to take another big hit. And I think I pre predicted that you're going to see collision live in that low threes, mid three category. And I don't think punk leaving had anything to do with it. I really don't. And people will listen to this and they go, fuck, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, they come up with their bullshit, you know, social media analysis, <laughs> which I've been reading a lot of lately. And it's, fascinating how fucking stupid most people are that engage in that kind of rhetoric uh, on social media. They're just completely, I mean, whack, but I, I just don't think punk's departure ultimately will have as much of an impact on collision as people think it did because it didn't have a positive impact on the show to begin with. What impact did Punk have on Dynamite? It was a big deal when he first showed up, and then it leveled down to where it was before. He wasn't as big of a draw as people think he is or thought he was. So I think this is, look, college football is going to kick their ass. It is what it is. You got Texas and Alabama coming up this Saturday. Are you kidding me? And, I, I again, I think, I predicted this, but just really to check myself, I'll go on a line and say expect a three to five percent decrease in this week's number compared to last week's number. Now, last week they were up not only against college football, opening college football, they're also up against the WWE premium live event. That's a double hitter. I think they did actually pretty well considering college football and considering WWE. Now, they're not going to have a WWE you know, live event that they're competing with this time, but they're going to be competing with some powerhouse football that anybody that's remotely interested in college football, including me, by the way, I will be watching. Conrad Thompson, and actually his dad, Larry, um, really converted me into an Alabama fan, and now I'm going to be watching. I probably otherwise would not have, but a lot of people are going to be watching that game, and I think it's going to take a bigger bump this, this week than it even did last week even though it doesn't have WWE to compete with.
aren't these Saturday PLEs pay-per-views? Aren't they so great? You have them on Saturdays rather than Sundays. The work week's not directly in front of you. I I think that's like the best thing that has come out of Nick Khan's influence on WWE for the fans. I, I, I agree. You know, there's something about the mood on a Saturday night. And most people that watch pay-per-views or premium live events, whatever, I'm going to keep calling them pay-per-views and fuck anybody that doesn't like it because I just don't care. I'm not changing for that. Um, so I'm going to call them pay-per-views. And I think... A lot of people that watch pay-per-views do it. Uh, it's a small party. You bring your friends over. It's kind of like watching football. You grill. You you know, have a couple beverages. It's an event, and and people watch it together. And it's just, I think people are more inclined to enjoy the product on a Saturday night than they are on a Sunday night when they have to get up and go to work the next day. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's so great. It makes it so much easier to consume. I'm a big fan of it. That was just a sidebar. But to your points about punk, I think you're right. I think that there was a lot of excitement about punk because of the mystery that came with CM Punk from his WWE departure nine years ago. And because of all that mystery, people really wanted to see, would he hold up as a draw? And I like CM Punk, the performer, quite a bit. I really do. CM Punk, especially in his prime, was the type of wrestler that I really identified with. And from a personal perspective, I've had nothing but great experiences with him. But it was very apparent that this was something that was losing a lot of steam very quickly. And even upon coming back, the interest just wasn't there at the same level that it was when he came in. It just wasn't there. So I tend to agree with you, Eric, that I don't think he was making that much of a difference in the actual collision program as a draw. You know, maybe the structuring of it, if we're led to believe that he had as much power as he did with it and say as to how the show was formatted and looked, you know, maybe there's a lot of influence there that will be seeing change. But when you have so many talented people back there, and there really are, and I know you spoke very highly of Brian Danielson and the role that he's taking on in AEW. And I agree. I think Brian Danielson is exactly the type of guy that you want to have a shot at running a show like that. I just think that this is your chance. You said kind of a reset before. The word that I heard from a lot of AEW talent in the last couple of weeks was rebuild. And I think this is an opportunity to do something of a rebuild. Do you think that this is probably the end of the soft brand split that we saw forming over a period of time? I, I don't, I have no idea. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I do know that unless Tony Khan delegates some creative authority, it's just going to be more of the same. It, nothing is going to change. Tony is not the booker that Dave Meltzer promotes him to be. He's the, the booker of the year. You know, when it comes to creative, Tony's, I think he's missing the mark and doesn't understand the broader television product or the television audience. He may 
you know, he may be targeting people just like him and like he was when he was a teenager and used to go to wrestling and as a kid, but you don't, you, you don't usually find success producing, writing, creating for an audience of one. And I think while Tony's approach is very ECW-ish, we've, we saw all that. You know, it, it doesn't lend itself to a broader commercial television product. It just doesn't. And I, and I think a large part of that is because Tony really doesn't understand television. Being a wrestling fan all your life does not necessarily mean you automatically understand how to build a wrestling project or brand or company. It just doesn't. Those two are not joined at the hip. There's a lot of wrestling fans out there that have been wrestling fans all their life and could sit down and, and detail probably on a blow-by-blow -blow basis matches that happened 15 years ago. doesn't mean they know how to produce a television show. And I think the, the thing that I'm most excited about, as negative as that sounds, the thing that I'm most excited about is, and I don't know why I've, where I heard this, but if, if there's any possibility that Brian Danielson is going to get an opportunity to run collision or at least have a serious voice on the creative side of that show, I think it, it has a lot of potential just because it's a different creative perspective. And Brian Danielson clearly, you know, vis-a-vis -vis his experience in WWE, understands television. He, he has learned it under some of the best that have ever done it. So why would you not tap into that? And, you know, Brian Daniels is not the only one. There are other people in that company that, that have some similar experience. Why not bring those guys in and give them some rope? Let them do it. You've got nothing to lose. At 345,000 viewers, Tony, you've got nothing to lose. Those are YouTube numbers. <laughs> you know, give it a shot. It might work. And if nothing else, it will be vastly different than the dynamite show. And, and I, I, that excites me. I'm, I hope that that happens for Tony's sake, for the talent's sake, company's sake. It needs a breath of fresh air in a different creative approach. I think Brian Danielson, I think he can become Tony Khan's Pat Patterson, the type of guy that you lean on to not just help you with your finishes and everything, but really be the glue that keeps the cohesiveness together in your programming in your storytelling. I think a lot of people look at Pat Patterson and the role he played for Vince McMahon at that time. And I think the way that Tony Khan speaks to Brian Danielson, and you said you weren't sure where you heard it. This came directly from the press conference from after all out this past weekend, where Brian Danielson was up there with Tony Khan and he was asked directly about this kind of stuff and the role that he could see himself taking on as his in-ring days start to wind down just a little bit. So I do foresee him becoming a pretty influential figure one way or another within AEW. And, and think about it. you've got You've got Brian Janison and Chris Jericho. Between the two of them, you've got about 50 years of high-level, very, very successful wrestling experience. Maybe not quite 50, but a lot. No, no you're, you right. Not, no, you're right. Maybe Chris isn't interested. I don't know. You know, because it, you know, you put yourself in that position of, 
you know, having a large voice when it comes to creative, it changes the dynamic backstage. And it's not necessarily good all the way around. But, man, you've got Chris Jericho and Brian Danielson. I don't know, man. Tap into that. Those two guys working together could be amazing for, for AEW. You really hit a lot on, you know, Tony saying that he's booking for one and whatnot. And there are definitely times where I see a lot of that very centralized booking. But then there are examples that I see the MJF, the Adam Coles, where you have this very complex long term storytelling happening. For me, I think one of the most fantastic character progressions AEW has done has been Orange Cassidy. And building every small part of the evolution of his character to a payoff, which this past week we just saw it all out. It was like almost the end of phase one of the Orange Cassidy character. And now he moves into this next phase of his career. Do you have any thoughts on Orange Cassidy? I don't think I've ever talked to you about Orange Cassidy, but he's one of the more complex and different characters in wrestling today. I enjoy his work. I I, I really do. Um, I know he was controversial coming in. I think he was one of, you know, Tony Khan was the one that, you know, really was so high on him in the very beginning and gave him the opportunity. And I think it was a good call. He's a completely different character, right? I mean, everything he does is so unique, but guess what? He's not better than, he's not less than, he's different than. And by being different than everybody else and being true to his character and being so unique compared to everybody else, he's now standing out. So I, I, you know, obviously I've never worked with him, but in terms of what I've seen him do and the way he carries himself, I, I, I think very highly of him. Yeah. I think he's one of the most special talents in wrestling, quite frankly. And the way that they have progressed his character from where he started to where he is now as, as a top guy in AEW, he main evented the pay-per-view this past week and got a standing ovation from the crowd at the end of it. I, I just think they've done a really great job with him. So I see those promising examples and I'm like, okay, there's something here. There absolutely is. But then there are fair criticisms to be had too. Um, so leaning on those people like the Brian Danielsons, the Chris Jericho's, the Dean Malenko's, the Jimmy Jacobs, these, these really smart wrestling minds that you have there. I'm curious to see with Punk out of the equation, how much and who gets leaned on more so as we go forward here. I, well, I get- you've also look, you've got a situation where, to my knowledge, AEW is still haven't negotiated their their new deal, right? So there's some pressure there. You know, that you, I would think, I I, I believe firmly that. Warner Discovery owns 30% of AEW. And until I hear somebody from either Warner Discovery or Tony Khan himself deny it, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Um, But, you know, you've got to perform. And right now, Dynamite is flatter than piss on a plate. It's actually deteriorating for the most part. If you look at, you know, we both follow Brandon Thurston, and every week he puts out all kinds of uh, data, and it's fascinating, and he does an amazingly thorough job at it. But it, you don't have to necessarily believe me and or anything that I say. You just have to, you know, look at the data. You know, I've been saying for a year and a half the show is not going to grow if it doesn't start becoming more um, more interesting from a creative perspective, better storytelling disciplined storytelling that include arcs and plot points 
and are designed to peak at certain points and times. Until that happens, it's just, you know, dream matches and dream, you know, yeah, it's going to be what it is. I would think, whether it's on the Warner Discovery side or the AEW side, somebody's got to go, you know, maybe we should take a different approach to creative because it's not working. Not only in television is it not working, but if you look at ticket sales for their live events, they're deteriorating as well. We're two weeks out from Arthur Ashe Stadium, and I think they've got uh, 6,000 tickets sold out of 12,000 in a building where they sold 20,000 in 20 minutes the first year. Doesn't that tell you something? It, I mean, it should. Or do you just ignore it? Because the small circle of people around you are telling you you're doing a great job. The numbers do not lie. They don't. And at some point, you need to wake up and have a cup of coffee and go, okay, I, as much as I like what we're doing, apparently the audience doesn't. So let's fix it. So then when AEW was at its hottest, let's let's say probably midway through 2020 into the beginning of 2022. Let's say that's kind of where we've seen AEW peak in terms of live attendance ratings, et cetera. Who was booking that? It was Tony Khan. It was so, also the new kid on the block. <clears throat> it was also, think of a, I always use the analogy of a restaurant. You know, you, you open up a new restaurant in the restaurant district in New York and you do a lot of anticipation, a lot of promotion. Everybody's a buzz. It's a great location. Everybody's excited. You open your doors. Everybody comes in. You standing room only. You can't even get a table. <clears throat> and then the following week, you're, you're about half full because all of those people that were excited came during that hot period of, of AEW and they were going to all of these markets around the country for the first time. They went to Arthur Ashe, and I could be wrong about the stats, so if I am, I am, and I apologize for that, but I think I remember somebody telling me they sold like 20,000 tickets in the first 20 minutes. Whoa! Take a look at where they are today. Two weeks out. Building a scale for 12,000, not 20, and they've only sold 6,000 tickets so far. What does that tell you? And by the way, who's booking? The same guy. That's why I think the new car smell that I often refer to, which, by the way, also was a big factor in Wembley, a really, really hot wrestling market in the UK. That's undeniable. We all know that. We've been talking about that, both on the indie scene and, and on a large scale. Um, and they're the new kid in town, and everybody's been hearing about them, and now they get a chance to be a part of history. That's a draw in itself. It's why they sold 60,000 tickets without announcing a match because people want to be a part of that first ever big event. They're not coming because of the story. They may not even be coming really because of the characters. They're becoming, they're coming because there's a new kid in town. There's a new restaurant on the block and we want to check it out and be there. And that same pattern, like I said, you go around the country, wrestle ticks, TIX, follow them on social media, go back and, you know, look and see what they're doing in real time in these markets. Brandon Thurston also, if you check him out, on social media, follow him on Twitter, did a really great job of analyzing markets where AEW has been repeating over the last two or three years. And it's not a pretty picture. It's not a horrible picture in some cases. I don't want to make it all doom and gloom, but it's none of it is up. It's all down 
some way more significantly than others, but it doesn't matter. You know, you, you, it, well, it matters, but I don't think you can point to the success of AEW back in 2021 and go, well, that's because of Tony Khan's booking. No, it's because they were new. They were fresh. There was a lot of anticipation. There was a lot of excitement at the idea of being an alternative to, to WWE, but it really isn't an alternative anymore. Is it other than the amount of blood and the kind of gratuitous violence that we see fairly consistently in AEW that you don't see in WWE. Other than that, what's different about it? Wait, but hold on a minute. I, first off, there's a point that I'm trying to make that I'm I'm going to make, and I think it's one you'll generally agree with. But to push back on that for a quick second, I you are every week on this podcast and on 83 weeks talking about how this, there should be this format to storytelling. This is how you should structure your stories. You know, this is how WWE has found success in doing a track record of building successful stories. But now you're saying, well, now it's not different enough for me from WWE where AW is supposed to be an alternative. And now it's not, now it's too similar in to WWE. So where, what's the right well, answer? Not, here, it, it's, it's not similar at all. It's just less than, okay. better than less than, different than it's not different unless you want to consider the the, the copious amounts of blood and the, the the gratuitous violence that's different but what is it about aew that is so different from wwe i'm waiting <laughs> it's not there there's no way it's just not well it's the problem and listen i know i know how this goes there are going to be people watching this. There are going to be people, Elvis and AEW Mark. I, I don't care. I, it has no impact on me whatsoever how these companies do. I don't work for any of them. It, it has no impact on me whatsoever. I, I want to stress that. But the difference is AEW is the product for the hardcore wrestling fan that appeals to them by giving them these big-time wrestling matches. And I know what you're saying. And, uh, the, the dream matches is no way to have a company. And that's a fair argument. You could totally make that argument. And I'm not going to push back on that by any stretch of the imaginations, but that is incidentally what AW was created for. And that is what it has stood as. as and that. it's not working. And I'm not suggesting that it is or it isn't. <laughs> I'm just saying that is what the difference is. Now I want to get back to the point at hand here because you're saying, well, it's the new car smell during that period of time. I, I agree. There's definitely a high degree of truth to that. I think objectively, as somebody who watched the show every single week, it was a better product. There were definitely more cohesive stories being told with characters developing on television every single week. Where? And, and at this period of time I'm talking about, and I'll tell you when I noticed it start to change. It started to change around the time when CM Punk came in. And there were there was all of a sudden this different shift in we're getting all these different talent coming in and talent that we've been featuring consistently on television since pretty much the start of dynamite are now starting to take the back seat to some of these new talent that we're bringing in the rosters expanding rapidly. And I think there was a little bit of a loss in focus. And when people aren't caring about the characters because they're not seeing them every week or they're not seeing them on a consistent enough basis, you start not to care as much about the stories that are being presented. And I think it really does correlate to right around the time that CM Punk came in, end of summer 2021, 
getting into the beginning of 2022 where you started to see that wheel change to the point where I don't think it has been nearly consistently strong as a television program from a storytelling perspective, with the exception of some really great stories that have been told. Uh, that's my assessment of it, Eric. And I know that's a little different than what you're saying, but I do think ultimately it does fall back to around the time when Punk came in. And I think there was kind of a shift in attitude at that time. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, certainly I could relate to a shift in focus because yeah. all of a sudden if you think you've got Elvis Presley coming in and you're going to you know, build your company around this character that you think is going to have such a significant impact and then he shows up and you realize two weeks later, hmm, not so much, didn't really matter that much, you're going to put a lot of focus and energy because there was, you know, there was a big financial commitment, I'm sure. There's, a, there's all kinds of commitments um, to bringing in somebody like Punk. And perhaps, yeah, it did take a lot of focus off some of the the underneath talent that was actually beginning to grow and getting some television time. And that's, you know, I'm not denying that that could have happened. But I I, I don't think, you know, I also wouldn't put it all on punk either. No, absolutely. And, and I'm during, not during insinuating that, that's during all that on same punk. period of time, Tony was consistently the big surprise. He was, he was like Dixie Carter 2.0. Every, every other week, there was some big surprise announcement that was going to change the wrestling world as we know it. And every one of them were popcorn farts. Well, and there were a lot of there was a lot of roster expansion going on. Uh, and maybe there wasn't necessarily a demand for that. But the roster was rapidly expanding. All these new people are coming in and you're losing focus on the stars that people are really growing up with since the start of your company. The and Pride and Powerfuls, the Eddie Kingston, you know, th those types of people. Well, we'll see, won't we? Let's just see. And, and I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning of this conversation. I hope that Tony opens up all the windows, lets some fresh air blow in, get rid of all the negative negativity backstage, and give a couple people, like a Chris Jericho or, or Brian Danielson, um, give them an opportunity. I mean, you've got three shows now, dude. Give them yeah. one. You can still be the, you can be your, you know, Vince McMahon, Paul Heyman of, of Dynamite. You be that guy. But be smart enough and confident enough that somebody else can actually do it better and you benefit from it. You know, you, yeah. you don't have to be that guy. The, the smartest people I know are the people that find people smarter than them to surround themselves with. Be the smart guy in the room that surrounds yourself with much more talented people and have enough confidence in yourself and security in yourself that you can allow them to get the credit. It's okay. Cause you're cashing the checks. It's okay. I've always liked CM Punk. I'm disappointed that things didn't work out how many people hoped that they would. I think it's best that they both moved on. And if he's done in wrestling, I don't know. So you what's know? the consensus among amongst your ilk? Your ilk being people My that <laughs> talk about wrestling a lot more than I do. <laughs> I only do it when I'm talking to you and when I'm talking to Conrad. <laughs> but, but, you know, I know there's a lot of chatter about Punk going to WWE. What's your take? Or what's the consensus well, amongst I'm, people that you I'm going to start a little conspiracy theory here, right? I know, I know a good conspiracy theory piques your attention, okay? I think a lot of people would say based on previous history with Vince and previous history with Paul Levesque that the chances on the surface of CM Punk going back to WWE would be slim. But as of September 12th, 
Vince McMahon doesn't own majority share in WWE anymore. Can I can I can I just interrupt you along the Please? way? Please. I don't think that fact, and it is a fact, will have any influence well, at all on Vince's influence on that company. And and I think for the most part you're right, but let me let me finish this thought here. Even though Vince won't be the one in charge, Paul Levesque is being removed from the board, all that stuff. Endeavor's going to be in charge of WWE at the end of the day. Ari Emanuel's going to be the one who is feeding everyone below him, ultimately. CM Punk has an existing relationship with Endeavor. CM Punk is a UFC guy. What is that relationship? CM Punk was in UFC. For a period of time, not have you heard Dana? Have you heard Dana White comment? On not the, on, not on just Punk? as a fighter, but he did periphery work for them as well. It wasn't just him as a fighter; he did broadcast work for them. There is an existing relationship there, and I'm going to turn it real quick here back to your own words last week when you gave one of my favorite stories that I've ever heard from you about the Turner, uh, the focus group stuff which I oh, think yeah. is some of the best stuff. And I was talking to Mike Weber about that the other day, and he told me he remembered that exact focus group that you were referring to. Um, who's to say that someone in Endeavor high up is not familiar with the CM Punk name? They they know it because of the previous history. And they say, oh, yeah, CM Punk's someone we should bring back. And all of a sudden, there's this outside influence. I'm just starting a conspiracy theory here, Eric, Okay. Uh, my my genuine, I, I think CM Punk's done in pro wrestling. I really do. But who's to say, man, Ultimate Warrior came back to WWE, and that was something that nobody thought was going to happen. Look, I, I, I think that there's a chance that Punk could make it back to WWE if, and I, I don't know Phil Brooks, so this is just me really plucking things out of thin air, but if Phil Brooks woke up tomorrow morning and said, you know what? I got some gas left in my tank. I can make millions of dollars, but clearly I've got some baggage I've got to get rid of first. You know, whether he deserves it or not, he's he's carrying a lot of baggage with him right now. The perception, unfortunately, can become reality. And if I'm CM Punk and I wake up and I have this conversation with myself and I just look at the clock and the calendar and I go, wait a minute, I've got maybe three years left where I can really, really make a lot of money and go out on a high note, end my career on a positive note instead of this negative one. If Phil Brooks is the type of man that first of all recognizes it and realizes that he's at least 50% responsible for it, if not more, the way he's handled himself and conducted himself, going back to that media scrum that I keep referring to, because that to me is, the, he really showed his ass as a professional right there. That's that's a guy that if I was ever considering doing business with him, I would not do business with him just because of what he did to Tony Khan. Unforgivable, in, in my opinion. However, if Phil can realize that he's good just much like you know anybody that's got a bad habit eventually if you've got a bad habit that's holding you back from being 
more successful, then you got to fix that bad habit. And if Phil can do that and sit down and have an honest to honest conversation with Paul Levesque, Paul Levesque's a smart dude. Absolutely. And I think if Paul Levesque were to believe, truly believe Phil Brooks, then I think there's a shot. Yeah. And the situation, the environment, it would be a lot different in WWE than it was in AEW. Absolutely. He's not going to be able to come in there and throw his weight around and try to intimidate people and be a prima donna because he just, you're not going to pull that kind of shit in WWE. Well, and, and the main reason that everything happened with Punk in WWE 10 years ago was because he felt the system and the structures were failing wrestlers. And now it's a very different environment from even 10 years ago right now in WWE. The industry has changed a lot in that time, including who's in charge. And I do think that would be a really, really interesting situation that you're describing. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, but there'd have to be quite a few hurdles to overcome in order for something like that to happen. But it's not look, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm speaking from a unique perspective. You know, you look at all the horrible shit that I did to WWE, including almost putting them out of business. Their words, not mine. When I finally got there in 2002 and was having serious conversations with people that are still close friends of mine, many of them, um, that was a time when everybody was afraid it was WWE was going to shut down because of the competition, the real competition, not the cosplay competition, but the real competition that we were coming to the table with every Monday night. Um, I did some horrible shit giving away their finishes, you know, all the silly stuff I did. Silly to me then, fun for me then, silly to us all now, but back then it wasn't, there was nothing funny about it. And for them to bring me back, when I say them, it was Vince McMahon. Uh, Vince was the only one probably that wanted to bring me back. Um, But I will also say that everybody in that company, from Linda to Stephanie to Shane to Undertaker, to a lot of the people, to Pat Patterson, to Gerald Briscoe, people that were really, really part of the WWE family and had been for a long time and were the most loyal to WWE and Vince McMahon were also the most gracious when I came back or when I came there the first time. So it's not the culture in WWE I don't think is going to be such or is such that he's burned too many bridges and there's no way. I don't believe that at all. I believe it's all up to Phil Brooks and, and how honest he's going to be capable of being with himself and what his goals are. He may have enough money in the bank after this last run to not give a fuck. I don't know. I, I don't know what his financial situation is, but you still, no matter how much money you have in the bank, if you're sitting there going, well, I don't really have much to do. And I could probably still make you know another four five, $6 million over the next two or three years. Maybe I should do that, you know. But if he's willing to have an honest conversation with himself and admit some of his own faults and and sit down with Paul and have an honest conversation, I can see it happening. And look, and it could would... be really good. It could be great for WWE, and it could be great for Phil, CM Punk, whatever you want to call him. It could be great for him if he's willing to do that. Yeah. If he's not, then he's just going to fade away and. 
be a cult wrestling star and nobody I will think, remember him 10 years from now. I think there would be a lot of people who would love to see a scenario like that happen for, for his legacy in WWE. For I WWE would, I would actually love to see it because it's a, it's a good ending. It is a good ending. Absolutely. I, I, is, you know, and again, I, I don't really dislike Phil Brooks because I don't know him. I dislike like a lot. Some of the things he's done, some of the way he's behaved, some of the things he said, his approach to getting himself over, I think exposed, he exposed himself to me and some of the things that he did that a lot of wrestling fans probably didn't even recognize or care about. But it's, it's some of the things that he's done as a character on camera that maybe if this guy doesn't have it, he thinks he does. He's conned everybody else into thinking he does. But that's just cheap heat. You know, cheap heat doesn't impress me. He does, but not cheap heat. But I still think he, he look, he's got a hell of a, a, a mystique about him. He's got a hell of a backstory with WWE. There's all kinds of stories that you could probably craft out of mm-hmm. real life uh, or perceived real life. There's all kinds of things you could do um, if his head is on straight. And if he wants to, he may not want to. I mean, I give a fuck. I'm going to ask you for one bold prediction here, and then we'll wrap up. Is Phil Brooks CM Punk on the WrestleMania 40 card this coming April? All depends on what we just talked about. Come on, give me, give I, me, give no, me something I, fun. Give me, give, give I, me I, something I, fun for the strictly I, business faithful. I, I can't. I, I mean, I can, you know, just to get people talking. Just, just and the bullshit. We're just I here. think he's going to be in the main event. <laughs> it's going to be Cody Rhodes against CM Punk. Through Cody Rhodes. Cody's out. Punk's coming in for Roman's title. That's how it's going. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, Gunther just passed Honky Tonk Man's Intercontinental Championship record. So you never know. Crazy things. Uh, Gunther, uh, isn't he an interesting character? Though? He's amazing. He's amazing. Eric's he's a really, I mean, he just, man, if you were making a movie, if you're doing an animated movie and you wanted to come up with just the best archetype of a badass wrestler, it would look like Gunther. He's a 1980s Hulk Hogan villain in 2023. It's amazing. He's the only person I've ever seen with a jaw bigger than John Cena's. <laughs> John Cena's got a jaw. I smacked him one time. We were in a thing we were doing together, and I was on the outside of the ropes. I think he was wrestling Kurt Angle or somebody. And John, you know, there was a spot there where John was supposed to be getting his ass kicked, and he's hanging outside of the ropes, and Vince wanted me to go up and just wallop him in the side of the head. And I, I, I just have a hard time hitting people I'm not pissed off at in real life. So I mean, you know, I'm kind of tentative. I didn't want to be too stiff, but I had to because I knew John would be upset if I didn't lay it in there. And I reached back and I smacked him. And I went, "Fuck!" <laughs> <laughs> I would never hit that man in the jaw with my bare hands. It'd have to be a hammer or a two by four or a jackhammer yeah. or something. But Gunther's got a bigger jaw. Do you imagine trying to knock him out? Dude, I want no piece of anything. No. <laughs> great job. Good for him. I'm glad yeah. I'm glad he's having the success he's having. He's going to be a big-time star in WWE. I feel pretty confident about that and sooner rather than later, in my opinion. But uh, this has been a great episode of Strictly Business. Thank you again to Mel Coleman for hopping on with us. Lots of fun discussion here. We want you on board, guys. Like, very much so on Strictly Business. Join us. Advertise with Eric.com. Get your product, get your business out in front of thousands of listeners every single week right here on Strictly Business. We want to make it work with you. 
and we have a great time. Why wouldn't you want Eric Bischoff and those dimples endorsing your product every single week? You know, I mean, come on now. That's what we're talking about here. 83weeks.com, adfreeshows.com. Get your Strictly business. Make sure you're subscribed. Anything else you want to throw out there, my friend? Uh, no other than I'm going to be in Atlanta uh, this weekend um, at Deep South Wrestling's uh, event. Ooh, okay. I'm going to be connecting with my... My nemesis from WWE, Teddy Long. Ah, I'm, I'm the Grand Marshal. Teddy, Teddy is there as well. Nick Patrick is involved in the show. It's Deep, Deep South Wrestling. They're having their Grand Prix Heavyweight Championship tournament, so I'm going to be a part of that. Uh, and looking forward to it. I haven't been back to Atlanta in a long time, so. It'll be fun. Hopefully, Teddy Long doesn't make you go one on one with the Undertaker in Deep South <laughs> Wrestling. That was a. Uh... Or you end up in a tag team match. Play a holla holla. This has been Strictly Business. We'll see you next time. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.